Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss a film and honor its place amongst its peers. My name is Rowan Wood, and joining me, as always, he's not agitated in the least. He's glad to answer any and all questions. In fact, he demands the opportunity to set the record straight for any derogatory statements made about him and testimony that's gone before. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen, who is not, thank goodness, on trial. I plead the fifth. <laughs> um, Shane, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. So this is a courtroom drama from director William Freakton, who this is his last film. And I know. stuff went down on a on a boat in the Navy, and we have to figure out what happened. Exactly. We never see what is uh what actually went down on the boat. Rather, we get a picture painted uh by the trial. It's 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 basically, I mean, this is a straight to streaming film. Uh, that uh, that is basically just a a very contained. I mean, it's based on a play, which is based on a novel, which inspired another film uh, that is the Kane Mutiny, not the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Um, so it's 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 very interesting, you know, the 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 chart uh, of uh, development um, of this of this film. But what a cast from this movie! Um, Kiefer Sutherland, Jake Lacey, Jason Clark, Lance Reddick. Uh, Lance Reddick in another one of his one one of his final roles. Yeah, um, yeah. This movie is. It took a little while to grow on me. I'm going to be entirely honest, um, because at first I was like, "You can't even tell that this was directed by William Friedkin," and then the movie got rolling. I realized not only is is Friedkin's adapted script fantastic, mm-hmm. but the way he shoots this is very interesting because it really emphasizes the pressure that any of these characters are under in any given moment it really gets into their heads in a way that 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 a lot of movies like really can't um and we're, we're just watching great performers be great learning about this event through a courtroom testimony which is a really hard to do which is a really hard thing to do as well um and it's a like this is this is this is a showcase of just great filmmaking and great um uh and great performances and a really really interesting examination of how people react under pressure and when those intense emotions get out and with a a a fantastic ending to cap it all off i like this movie more than i expected to yeah this I also agree that at the beginning it felt very limited cinematically by like we're just sitting in this courtroom, which also very interestingly, I really, really love William Freakton's remake of 12 Angry Men. I don't think it's as good as the original film, but like yet again, like William Freakton has this experience making these like courtroom drama, like isolated courtroom dramas. Mm-hmm. And really knowing how to make the most of it, but yeah, the it looks overly saturated with light and kind mm-hmm. of flat in that way, and that's really the only real negative I had personally with the film. But like the way the camera moves, the how the tension builds, these actors came to play. Like Jason Clark might have a new uh, job as Hollywood's interrogator, uh, based off of yeah, right. Hunter. And then this coming out this year. And just how each of these actors really bring so much. And I love 
how this film deconstructs a truth that's mm-hmm. introduced in the because the first person we hear from is Kiefer Sutherland, this captain, and his truth is our truth. And this whole film is about deconstructing that truth. And then it goes even further, where this might have one of my favorite endings of any movie this year. And all perfectly placed action by a character that's just like an emphatic like exclamation point on it. Mm-hmm. And I did not see that coming. And it made me immediately want to go back and rewatch this film with that lens and understanding what's really going on. Because there's so many layers to this script. Mm-hmm. And it has so much to say about human nature. Totally. And it's one of those kinds of films that really leverages this idea of the Navy, this naval trial, and really saying so much about us as people and how far we'll go to achieve certain things. And it's just such a fascinating film. And Jason Clark's character is so interesting because he's doing a job because it's his job and he's going to great lengths to do his job because it's his responsibility, but there's layers to exactly how he really feels about all this. And it's only in, I feel like in hindsight where we really see the whole picture of what this film's doing. And it's so fascinating to look back and think about. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because it, Shane, like you were saying, it's like the the lighting and colors are kind of washed out. It feels like it's being filmed live, and I think that that might have been a sneaky creative choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of using the lack of a like of a of a production budget to its advantage, um, mm-hmm. because like this is played out pretty much like almost in real time, um, which yep. is something that is just so so fascinating uh, i think when movies do that and the fact that you have great talent both in front of and behind the camera shows you and and proves that it's not just um it's not just a straight to streaming movie like this 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 transcends that that um that concept and threshold in a way that i feel like a lot of other movies wouldn't because william friedkin knows like knew what he was doing um he has been working for 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 like he had been working for almost 60 years um, prior prior to his death. And so this is a great one to go out on, even though, you know, if some people see uh, that, 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 you know, the last film from this great director was this, you know, straight to Showtime, uh, you know, courtroom drama, they would be like, what, why? Like, that's so embarrassing and insulting. No, this is like, pe- those people need to watch this movie and then they will realize that it's a true, a truly fantastic work of art. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and I'm a pretty big fan of The French Connection. And I think the only other film besides this I had seen is The Twelve Angry Men, and that was a TV movie. And I don't know if you've heard of this remake, Rome, but look at the cast. It's insane. As like Jack Lemmon, George C. Scott, William Peterson, mm-hmm. James Gandolfini, Tony Danza. Uh, Courtney B. Vance, and just so many, uh, Edward James almost. It's just one of those kinds of films that really surprises you. And it's like, why would you remake 12 Angry Men? And right. just like, and then you watch it, and I'm like, wow, it really worked, though. Um, I watched that in school. 
honestly. I don't know why they showed that version. I guess they were <laughs> like, well, these high school kids will probably respond better to a movie made from like nine like 2000, I think it came out or something, versus like an old black and white movie. But yeah, this, this was such a great finale. And if the final scene in any William Freakton movie turned out to be the final scene in this movie as it has turned out to be, I just feel like that ending works even better as just this emphatic bam done. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, as per usual, uh, we have three categories to talk about mm-hmm. today, but first, before we get into that, Shane, where does this movie land in the pantheon of films uh, that, uh, that we have talked about so far? 79 now crazy. We're almost at episode 80. <laughs> I, honestly really love this movie this is my number 24 at this point wow between school of rock and the painting this honestly is one of my higher up films from 2023 mm-hmm. as this is our special episode of highlighting a film that like for this year as we wrap yes up. yeah um it is uh it is higher on mine believe it or not number 15 uh in my estimation so that is above over the garden wall and below greener grass but still in the in the in the very top uh which is just so so wild and it is pretty high um on my on my 2023 list um as well uh 97 films that i've watched so far in 2023 granted we are recording this november 12th so there will be a lot yes. more by the time this episode is released um, but uh, it came mutiny court martial was my number twenty two of the uh, of uh, of the year. Um, but uh, Shane, before we get into our lists, of course, we're going to talk about the year twenty twenty three. What has been your assessment uh, of this year in movies so far? From where it's, we are right now, of course, like pre pre Thanksgiving. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the highlights for me this year have been bigger movies, like. I John Wick Chapter 4 was my number one movie for such a long period of time in this year up until Oppenheimer came out. I feel like it's the big movies that have really hit me the most mm-hmm. up until very, very recently with like the holdovers, which I'm sure we'll both be talking about in a minute. But I feel like for me, like Guardians 3 hit me so hard, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, as it, I'm pretty sure it's just called Dead Reckoning now. They're getting rid of the part one yeah. part of it. <laughs> Should have done that in the first place. And like Killers of the Flower Moon, like, yeah, sh- like Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon are from higher profile directors, but they're still big movies. And especially Oppenheimer is still a Nolan movie. Um, but it's like what and Barbie. It just I feel like it's been the bigger studio stuff that's really stuck out to me. I'll have to see how the rest of this year wraps up. There's definitely a lot of films that I really want to hit, but I don't know. I don't know if this year's gonna go down as a year that I think is like a all timer in my lifetime. Like 2019 was such a great year. And I feel like we're going to be chasing that high for a while. But legitimately, this year has a potential to have two instant classic films of like Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer that it, I feel like it goes back to 2007 when No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood came out. And you're just like, I know in this moment, these films are going to go down as classic films. I definitely have some vibes with a couple of the films that came out this year. 
I would raise you, you, you mentioned 2019. I would also raise you 2022 last year was one of the better and if not more interesting years in movies um, from at least in like in, in my lifetime, in my recollection, especially, you know, being, I feel like that was the first like big um, resurgence of the film industry post COVID. Yeah. And now in 2023, it's like, we are still sort of coming down from that. And now every movie, this is the first year I think where every movie that has been released was made post, uh, you know, post pandemic. Um, and, and, and just the fact that, uh, that we're getting just so many amazing movies uh, is a testament to the the creativity uh, that is present in the entertainment industry. It's going to be interesting seeing next year when a lot of the movies that are coming out are being produced post strike and seeing how that yeah. affects everything. Um, so we're living in, we're living in very, very interesting times here. So it's, I don't know. It'll be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here, but I am, I am quite happy with uh, 2023 so far um, mm-hmm. uh, film wise. There we go. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so we will talk about 2023, um, our top five so far at the end. Um, but uh, first, we're going to do um, uh, courtroom dramas, and 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 this, of course, could be doesn't have to be a a a a straight drama, just court courtroom films uh, in general. Uh, this is this is a distinction that Shane <laughs> wanted me to make earlier on that I think is totally yes, because what particular film? Yeah, uh, I am. I am. I am calling it courtroom drama. But Shane, what are your what are your top five? So my number five, To Kill a Mockingbird, classic. Mm-hmm. Gregory Peck, absolutely. Number four, I love A Time to Kill. I watched this in my business law class in high school and fell in love with it. Joel Schumacher had some a few really good films, and let's forget Batman and Robin, uh, but. Hearing Samuel Jackson saying, "Yeah, I hope they. I think they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell," was just like one of the most like moments I saw in a movie in a long time. My number three is A Few Good Men, which is probably the one that feels the most similar to the one we talked about for this episode. Just Sorkin, you know, writing, uh, Rob Reiner directing. Number two, the original Twelve Angry Men, such a such an amazing feat of acting and writing and honestly directing a film so confined just and such a great cast led by henry fonda my number one though is my cousin Betty. um i (laughs) this movie hits hard for me as an italian american and just watching uh, Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei on display in this movie is something special. It's hilarious. It has a legitimately interesting mystery going on and trying to figure out exactly how this all played out. It even has Ralph Macchio in it, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Early 90s. Yeah, so the, uh, our, our our lists are uh, more similar than I expected. Um, my number five is The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is the only silent film uh, on my list. Uh, 1928, just ridiculously da- like dynamic, despite having no audible dialogue, um, taken from the actual record of Joan of Arc's real trial. So this is like as much of a, of, of, of a cl- as close of an adaptation as you can get. Um, when when you're adapting real life, uh, I limited myself in my own head and <laughs> didn't really think about outside the box. Like, <laughs> oh wait, it's not like a literal courtroom that I imagined. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that 
There we Good. go. That's a that's a great one. Thank you. Uh, number four is My Cousin Vinny. Uh, number three is 12 Angry Men, an absolute classic. Number two is A Matter of Life and Death, which we talked about um, on this show um, before. It is not a full, like, the the, the movie, it, like, it's not a legal drama. The movie doesn't fully take place in a courtroom. But I would argue the climax of this movie is the trial. And it yeah. is this, like, metaphysical, you know, heaven and hell, um, you know, sort of debate. Uh, and uh, so we did a, an episode about that back in October. So go check out that uh, for more of a discussion on that one. Number one is Witness for the Prosecution, Billy Wilder movie that I watched pretty recently that is absolutely and without question, I think, the most well thought out and well written and well acted um uh courtroom scenes i have ever seen and this takes up most of the movie um and it is never boring so if you love courtroom scenes or even if you don't love courtroom movies this is definitely a one that 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 may win you over uh to its side um but anyway so our next category is uh last films now since this is william friedkin's last film and one of the last films of actor lance reddick we figured we'd talk about uh countdown the uh, five films that are uh, the last of someone involved in the production. I tried to limit it to like someone like major, um, like 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 a lead actor or director. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Shane, what are your what are your top five, and who do they correspond with? Uh, this was this was more challenging than I thought it would be trying to figure out like looking up famous last films. But my number five is Small Soldiers. Mm -hmm. I love this movie. It's such a random, crazy action movie from like the late 90s. And unfortunately, it's Phil Hartman's last movie, mm. who was murdered by his wife, uh, which is such a tragic story. But like this, this movie is literally about toy soldiers who come to life and wreak havoc in a small town. Um, you would, it has the. Um, Almost the whole group of these characters are played by the Dirty Dozen actors. And you would have thought that maybe one of those were the last, like this is the last film of one of them. But unfortunately, it's Phil Hartman. Number four is the Scorsese Cape Fear, mm. because it was Gregory Peck's last film. And I, it is, it is a visceral, crazy ride that Scorsese put together. My number three is Eyes Wide Shut. Had to get, I had to throw my Kubrick on here. Of course. What a, what a erotically weird movie you got going <laughs> on here. Number two is Gladiator. Pour one out for Oliver Reed, who's so great as Proximo. And to the point, like, he died during filming. They had to rewrite the ending and stuff to, like, deal with the fact that he couldn't finish filming the film. And you can see where they had to, like, cut around and do some creative <laughs> editing and yeah. number one this is such an interesting idea and it's the night of the hunter because this is charles lawton's first last and only directorial effort <laughs> as a director and it is such a fascinating gothic noirish kind of film this strange fairy tale and uh robert mitchum's so great in it but i wanted to include this one because it's such an interesting like strange unique beast in terms of film where like this famous actor directed only one film so like yeah technically this is the last movie he directed so boom there you go 
it's um i think uh, like a, a a testament to how much he knew about the craft of acting that i think he could make such a fantastic film and he just decided to leave it at that like yeah, he was like, like okay i'm done goodbye yeah uh i've you know i've done enough and i think this is perfectly okay i will stop here um anyway um my uh top five is uh number five is ma rainey's black bottom the last film of chadwick boseman um which is just i think a a, a brilliant film a brilliant adaptation and just a absolutely brilliant performance yeah. number four is uh paprika which was the last film that satoshi Kon directed oh. before he died of cancer uh in 2010 this is a deeply deeply weird film uh but but absolutely fantastic and i had no idea how much it inspired inception um before uh before i saw it uh over the summer number three is a uh, come and see directed by um uh lm klimov it was his last film um which is crazy that he had been i mean he had been a, a soviet filmmaker for years and years and then his last film that he made is widely accepted by many to be one of the greatest films ever made uh mm -hmm. not just his greatest but one of the greatest ever which is a legacy if i've ever seen one uh number two is network which was peter finch's last film he died shortly after it was released and then won a posthumous oscar for it um and he is just this is this is maybe one of the best performances I've ever seen. Uh, this is another one that I saw over the summer and was just floored by. And um, number one is The Tale of Princess Kaguya, uh, which was director um, Iso Takahata's last film. Um, he had uh, he had done a lot of uh, uh, Ghibli work, even though he had only directed a few of them. And Princess Kaguya is one of my favorite Ghibli films in general. Uh, I think it's it's nothing short of remarkable um and just so so well done and so interestingly animated as well so not a bad uh film to go out on um either but uh our final category is the year 2023 from our from our perspective in november i i, I virtually guarantee you that our lists will change at least slightly uh by the time mm -hmm. we uh, uh we get to where you guys are when you're listening to this but uh for now uh, we'll count down what our 2023 is like so far. So Shane, uh, what are your top five as of November 12th? My number five is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, aka Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, as it <laughs> used to be called. Um, couldn't even make it to the end of the year before they decided to change the name of this. <laughs> this, I am a huge Mission Impossible fan, and Chris McQuarrie taking on this franchise like elevated this to a whole other level. And I think this did accomplish being a good part one and enclosed story and still having something to say later. And as a long-term fan, this hit me in the feels real hard. And also Haley Atwell is such a great addition to this franchise. Number four is the holdovers, the freshest thing on here. I love this film, this expertly crafted wonderfully acted beautiful film and i laughed so much watching this movie yeah. and felt so much too my number three is john wick chapter four and this is no joke when i say this this movie should win oscars for the incredible technical aspects of this film dan uh Lautzen, who's the cinematographer who also shot shape of water the same year he shot john wick chapter two 
is his cinematography in this is off the charts. This is an absolutely gorgeous film, and I would make the argument this might be one of the greatest, if not the greatest action movie ever put to film. Mm. It is insane the three hours that Chad Stahileski was able to put together and the additions of like Hiroki Sonata, Bill Skarsgård, and uh, Rina Sawayama, and especially Donnie Yen. Just, oh, this movie. Number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. This is a real tight two, two films at the top. And Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese did something, look, he does what he does best, which is showing the horrible things that men will do and the ramifications of their actions and how despicable they can be Mm -hmm. and decided to put a spotlight on the horrible Osage murders. And like Robbie Robertson might be getting an Oscar to wrap up his career after he passed away. Oh, crap. I guess that could have technically too mm-hmm. as a composer last composed film but like just lily gladstone de niro dicaprio great and my number one's oppenheimer the final moments of oppenheimer i don't think an ending of a film has been able to hit that same high of existential dread <laughs> this movie gave me in its final yeah. moments and <laughs> it's impeccably made and crafted and told and acted and just everything very nice. Uh, that is a great list. Uh, my number five is uh, Oppenheimer, which I, I think is maybe one of Christopher Nolan's greatest films. It sustains a momentum, like a, a very, very quick uh, and, and breezy momentum throughout in its entire three hours, which I still have no idea how they did it the way they did it. Um, great performances across the board, great tension and brilliant practical effects uh, as well. Number four is uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Just a perfect follow-up. Uh, not, I, I would say not better than the first film, but still like really, really high um, up there for me. Just ups the emotional and, 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 and like multiversal stakes in some really fascinating ways. Number three is The Holdovers, which we saw yesterday. This is a very uh, new addition to the list, but mm-hmm. oh my God, this movie is so good. So, as Shane mentioned, so funny. Paul Giamatti's great. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph is great. Dominic Sessa, uh, newcomer, is really fantastic, and it is just so like such a pleasure, and 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 it's just so comfortable um, to watch them just be, just live, and just learn about what they just learn about like like what these characters want to be. And how they can help each other, and it's like it, it's it's just such an emotional, um, like very effective uh, story. Number two is All of Us Strangers, which I think is getting a theatrical re- uh, release around the time that this episode comes out. Uh, I saw this at the New York Film Festival, though, so definitely go see this. Andrew Scott, I think, I, like speaking of greatest performances of all time, Andrew Scott is is up there for me. His performance is an all timer. Jamie Bell and Claire Foy and Paul Mescal are all fantastic too. And this movie is about being human and it's about loneliness and it's about sadness and grief. And it tackles all of those just so brilliantly. And this movie definitely uh, made me cry (laughs) Um, in like in a very like legitimate um, and, and, and honest way. Um, My uh, final 
uh, li- uh, one, my number one for this year is Past Lives, which is a... I've noticed a trend on my top five uh, for this year so far is movies that are about being human and the emotions that you feel all the time that come that, that come along with being human. And each of the movies on this list tackles it in a very um, in a very different way. And so this is uh, past lives is, is about what might have been and what could have been and how that sort of thing shapes you into the person that you are. And I like that just really speaks to me. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think this movie is so, so um, phenomenal and I will champion it being taught in film school. I'll champion everyone watching it. it it's just so, so remarkable. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's definitely going to be a big uh, contender uh, th- this award season. So definitely check that out. Um, but anyway, uh, that has been our, uh, our 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 discussion, and this is our last episode of 2023. So we'll uh, we're not taking a break. We'll be back next week uh, with episode 80, which is crazy that we are getting uh, so uh, that we are almost to our to our two year um, anniversary, which is crazy, so crazy. Um, but uh, if you know, wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else except for you, Shane. So thanks for oh, th- bro, thanks man. thanks for being my podcast partner. Um, absolutely yeah uh so thank you all out there as well for joining us uh we really really appreciate it uh sticking by whether you've been here for one episode or 79 we appreciate you and we love you and we'll be back next week with another episode of rowan and the wasteland 